0: This episode of Philly's Therapy is brought to you by Loop. Ask any ball player and they'll say there's no better feeling than coming up with a big hit when it matters most. Download the number 1 sports card app and get those big hits for yourself. Join Loop and get access to live sports card streams all day, every day. Our community hits cards that are worth up to thousands of dollars every night. Get a piece of the action for yourself. Download Loop for free today at loop.cards. That's loup cards. Loop, sports cards 24-7. Hello, hello, and happy belated Father's Day to all of you lovely dads out there in the Phillies universe. Welcome to another episode of Phillies Therapy, episode number 14. My name is Paul Boyer. And I am joined once again by the Athletic Philadelphia's Matt Gelb. Matt, how are you?
1: Pretty good, Paul. I'm going to get to cross off another ballpark uh, this week. Phillies are going to, is it called Globe Life Park? Is that what it's called? Globe Life Field? Something like that. Yes. Uh, That's another one. I guess I need to count. uh, I'm past you know, I'm past thirty because I've been to ballparks that that don't exist anymore, which makes mm-hmm. me feel Turner Field doesn't exist anymore. You know, obviously the vet, not, you know, but uh, yeah, excited to cross off into the ballpark. I'm going to San Diego after that, which is always a fun trip. I think the Phillies are going to see you, uh, Darvish. They're going to see some pretty good pitching this week. Uh, some more lefties. It's going to be an interesting week after you know what was an incredible weekend for them. I mean, you take four out of five, and no matter how you feel about the nationals and they are bad they might be a worse fielding team than the Phillies.
0: they really put on an impressive display <laughs> this year you know it it's kind of interesting whenever you come across a team that um uh, has some of the same flaws as yours does and you get to watch it from the outside and see like oh so that's what that looks like you know like you take the blinders off and you're oh oh So that's the kind of team we're putting out in front of other teams fans. That's what they have to watch. Yeah, it was, it it was not pretty. The nationals are not good. And I thought it was kind of interesting how much it seemed to be. I don't know if it was just coincidence, but in the middle of this series, it just seemed like it got to Juan Soto a little bit. Like he was just sort of checked out almost. He didn't run out that one double play almost egregiously and somehow avoided being benched for that. Um, he looked kind of lackadaisical in the field. It's a, it's obviously not just a him problem. He's not having a a great season by any stretch. Most of all, him, but the team is just not good around him. It can't be an enjoyable experience, and we've all experienced that from the mid twenty tens.
1: Tough spot for him, you know. And, and 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 I I know Davey Martinez was was somewhat critical of him after not running out that ball. And yeah, I mean, you want him to run it out, but it's like the the other side of that argument is like, how yeah, how can he not? disappointed by like what's happening around him it's like they want him to believe in the future of their organization they want him to sign a long-term deal uh i don't know that's it's a tough spot and and like the phillies are gonna play (laughs) they still have 14 games against the nationals this season and a ton of them are after august 1st and you know josh bell won't be on that team anymore and maybe one of the relievers maybe finnegan gets gets flipped uh yeah, maybe Cesar is somewhere else, although he did make a seven run error, uh, that helped the Phillies. Thank <laughs> <greatly>. you, Cesar. <laughs> and, Thank um, you, buddy. <laughs> we owe you one. That's a that's a seven run error, that's something. But uh yeah, I mean that, it's it's pretty bad. It's pretty bad there. But uh Phillies are gonna Phillies have already taken advantage of it, four out of five, and uh they're gonna have a ton of opportunities to take advantage of it in August and September.
0: Well, and that's the thing, right? Like we've been waiting for this team to actually beat the teams we think they're supposed to beat in order to really start to look like they're serious about contending, right? I mean, the Marlins stick out as as the big sore point and they happen to be in the middle of this stretch and they took a series for the Phillies, took a series from the Marlins. Finally, thanks to a couple of walk-offs, a couple of (laughs) unlikely wins. Uh, They've won five straight series. I don't know when I could say that. The, the last time I could say that about this team, um, because 2011, they, I think since last time they won five straight series it has been twenty yeah. eleven. All right. Well, there you go. See, this goes back to what we've been trying to get out of this organization for a long time. And part of, I think, why momentum, like the the big, big specter of momentum has always seemed to elude this team. You know, they can't string together more than a week of good play or at least I should, I should talk in the past tense right now because they're hot and they've been playing hot for, for weeks. You know, this is more than just a blip at this point and they're doing it without a, a couple of players and and they're doing it with their best player being perma DH, but they're also doing it now without their starting second baseman who up until the time he got hurt was arguably the team's second best hitter. And they're just finding ways to power through it. Even if, as you mentioned in your, your notes piece on the athletic today, the second baseman are combining for what was it like a 280 on base percentage. It's just the, the power that's really somehow manifested whether it's been Nick Maton for a brief spell or Bryson Stott, when he's moved over there, uh, maybe, maybe Ira Munoz will join the party a little bit more. Like, it's just, (laughs) it's such an interesting mix and somehow despite losing Segura and they're going to be without him for a, a while longer yet, they're still powering through and they haven't been able to do that previously.
1: Yeah, so real quick, this is the first time they've won five straight series since 2011. Uh, They won nine straight series from June to July 2011. I mean, we all know that team is special, but nine straight series. God, that's amazing. Unbelievable. Amazing. Uh, They lost, the series they lost was to the Giants at the end of July 2011. Of course. And the losing pitchers back-to-back were Hamels and then Kyle Kendrick.
0: Oh, okay, okay. And that dropped the to. Phillies.
1: That dropped the Phillies to a sixty-five and thirty-nine record. God. I
0: I can't even remember what that was like to be twenty plus <laughs> games over five hundred and finish forty plus games over five
1: hundred. It's just such a far number. Like I look at what the Yankees are doing so far this year. Oh my right? god, it's unbelievable. The, I feel just, like it's being underplayed. I mean, every, right? everyone knows the Yankees are good, but oh my, like what they're, they're doing blowing people
0: insane. out of the water. And the record reflects it. This isn't a fluke thing. I don't look at them as like the giants of last year where you kind of figured they would be okay again this year. And and they're not, they're not bad by any stretch. They're uh, 37 and 28 are the giants right now. But you look at the Yankees being 49 and 17 and everything those players are doing supports that. And I just,
1: I wanna remember what that was like. I just I'm in awe <laughs> well, of this but I mean, looking at them. Okay, from but far. the Phillies are I mean they're they're giving you a taste of. It. I mean, I yes, think they're the are. best baseball they've played in a decade. Like do you exactly. agree with that? Yes. No, yeah.
0: 100%. I, I I can't remember I can't remember a time where I would look at the recent play of this team and think how are they doing that? But in a good way. Right? Yeah. Yeah. The, I, I, yeah. There are just so many missing pieces and so many things that don't seem like they should coalesce into a team that goes, you know, what, 14 and three to start a month immediately after, you know, canning the manager, losing their starting second baseman, getting a bit of a regression from the middle to back end of their rotation, but having other players step up to support it. It's just it, it's, it's winning about as much as, as the Yankees are doing recently, but just in a completely different way.
1: Right. So naturally, let's focus on one of the negatives mm-hmm. and that's <laughs> I'm sorry. No, but uh, no, we okay. got it. We got I I got, got I, I, it I have a question for you. OK, so okay. the last 12 games, uh-huh. uh, the Phillies have played their um, their nine and three. And yeah. uh Bryson Stott started 10 of those games at second base.
0: Okay. And he
1: hit uh, one oh three with a one forty six on base and a one eighty three. Yes, he had 103 with a 146 <laughs> on base and a 180 slug. My question for you is oh my God. over the next 12 Phillies games, uh-huh. how many will Bryson Stott start at second base? Because they will activate Johan Camargo for uh, oh before Tuesday's game in Texas. Mm. Like we've kind of like ever since this was ever since I'm I'm arbitrary endpoints here. Like this is since a four hit game he had. Against the Brewers, he's had four hits in the twelve games since that four hit game, and that's where I cut it off here. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know we we made a big we made a big deal out of him. I mean, like he was, you know, had some huge hits for them, huge hits, and we like did. he started to see some flashes of it. But I wonder how many games do you think he's starting at second base in the next twelve? it was uh, Ten in the last twelve. What's going to be in the next twelve? I, I mean, I. I...
0: I'm saying this without looking at some of the probables coming up sure. I, it, as soon as Camargo is back, you know, he's, he's going to play less against lefties. They're probably going to want to try and get him to pick up some kind of positive momentum, right? Because his it, has it bats have just been, they've been throwaways since, you know, that Milwaukee series. um, And that's, <laughs> that's not great. That's not what you want him to do, but I also don't think he's in a position where they're probably going to uh, option him down. Right. It, it, it feels like, you bring Camargo back, and his his noted strong side is when he's batting right handed against left handed pitchers, um, which can help complement things. You don't want to keep throwing tandems and platoons at every single position on the field, but it does seem like this is an opportunity where one could actually be beneficial. So I'll I'll take the under on half there. I, I think maybe it's four or five, five, um, yeah, depending on you know how soon you know, Camargo comes back and how all that shakes out, but right now it, maybe they need to ease off the gas a little bit. Um, I, I don't think it's changed much. The, the, the thought and the notion that he needs to keep playing, right? You don't want him to, to sit on the bench and turn to ice. But you also have to do that delicate balancing act that they always seem to find themselves getting into with these young players of <laughs> the development versus trying to win, right? And right now, he's he's not really helping them win, at least not this past week.
1: No, they face a in lefty, weeks. Martin Perez, uh, the first game in Texas. And uh, yeah, I think either uh, Munoz or uh, Camargo is going to start that game. And, and, and you're right. I mean, I think uh, it's going to be less time for stop. And, and again, this is not... <laughs> this isn't like an anti young kids thing. I mean, like they, they have to get production here and, yes. and I know they're not going to get production from every spot on the field like that. That's uh, it's naive to think that, but you, you know, you were just talking about how they've been winning games and you're kind of scratching your head. Like how is the, are they winning the way they're winning? It's because they've scored a lot of runs generally. Mm-hmm. I mean, they have to get as much production as they can from as many spots on the field because there are, so many holes elsewhere so uh yeah i mean it's hard to just uh, start a guy uh, just because he's young and you like him every day when you're not getting production they they, they um you know there, there has to be kind of a short leash there and, and it hurts to say that because stock's one of their better young players but they need they need production
0: they do and it, it makes Segura's absence a, a little more painful, you know, to have another hole in the lineup and, and in the field that you have to fill on a regular basis with this sort of strange combination. Who whoever takes the field on give a given day, hell, they put Matt Vierling out there for a start. And he looked fine. He had what like five assists or something like that. Like he was it, it was nice. It was it was cute to watch that. Um, but missing Segura, it it, it hurts, even if it hasn't hurt them all that much right now. It will come into play at some point. Well, I guess in a way, it kind of has with Stott struggling the way he
1: has. Yeah, I mean, oh, think it, about it. you've got third base, yeah. center field, mm-hmm. catcher that have sort of been Ooh, yeah. underperforming right now. Mm-hmm. Second base, in addition to that, I guess center field has been okay. It's been better. You know, it's, been okay. it's has, a has given a little lift, and Odubel has been Odubel. Mm-hmm. Um, so, say third base, catcher, second base right now. You know, that's three spots in the field where you're getting a sub league average production. I would say offensively. Uh that's that's probably your max, right? At any given time you probably want to have, you know, 3. <laughs> a, yeah, a third yeah. of your lineup. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I think guess. that's about I mean, the tolerable that's max. That's probably the max, right? Yeah. <laughs> but like so so what do you what do we think
0: about Segura now in the future? So he comes back around September, we hope everything goes well and his finger heals and he's able to be a productive player like we expect him to be for the home stretch of the season. Hopefully the fills are still in it and he provides that lift that they could really use, they'll avoid probably looking for a whole lot of uh, help up the middle at the trade deadline, because they know he's coming back, um, at least counting on it. So that's probably an interesting uh, strategic thing to keep in mind. But as we keep moving beyond that and thinking about where Gene Segura fits on this team past September, past this year, he has a club option for next year for $17 million. Looking like, especially with this injury, that's not going to get picked up. I don't
1: think that's getting picked up. Um, I really don't.
0: It's a low buyout. I think it's only at one or two million. A million. On, on yeah. The buyout. yeah, one million on the buyout. You run a bit of a risk declining that option because when he's been on the field, he has been productive. He looks like he's still in line for a multi-year deal if he hits the market. And so if you're the Phillies, what do you do? Segura is a popular player. He's been a good player. Sturdy. He's the best infield defender they have, which, you know, is something to keep in mind. Is this a guy where you'd be willing to, and I'm talking to you specifically, but also the royal you of Phillies fans here, would you want to commit another multi-year deal for Segura, who's going to play next year at his age 33 season, and retain him for another, you know, 20, 30, 40 million dollar guarantee?
1: I wouldn't. I'm looking to put that money into shortstop mm. and that, and that's me assuming that Bryson Stott is a second baseman.
0: Interesting. So you'd go after one of the, one of the big guys coming up on onto the market, maybe a, a Trey Turner situation. <clears throat>
1: yeah, I would, I, mm. I would take that money. I just don't like Segura's history of soft tissue injuries. Uh, he's going to be a little older. He's going to be uh, coming off a season in which, you know, he's not into, he's going to end up not playing very much. Uh you know, I, I think you know people have have their own theories about you know why he has played the most games among any active player without appearing in a postseason game, and generally, a lot of that is is not his fault. Most likely, he's just mm. played for a lot of bad teams. But I don't know. Uh, I like, it's it's you get into this gray area where you start talking right. about you know what is a winning player because you start than making generalizations and things yes. that you really can't explain because a winning player is just, you know, sometimes it's circumstance, like you just have to be with other good players, but of course, Segura does a lot of good things. And he made the point, you know, that he, he was hitting the ball harder than he's ever hit, hit it uh, on average. And he's right. I mean, his mm-hmm. average exit velocity, if you want to look at that uh, was was three miles per hour uh, harder on average than it was the season. It's very ago. good. Yeah. And it was really good. Uh, he does a lot of things. He's just solid. I think if you could bring him back on a one-year deal that was cheaper than seventeen million, maybe you do it. I, I really don't want to get into a multi-year deal with him. I really don't. I, I just don't know that it would be uh, the best use of your resources. And and you are going to have some some money to play with here. Let's let's not forget. I mean, Gregorius comes off the books. Mm-hmm. Uh, the entire bullpen comes off the books. Obviously, <laughs> you know you have Eflin and Gibson off the books, but you still you know you got to fill those spots somehow. Uh, I, I would argue that the entire infield. Is, is unsettled for for 2023. Like you could look at every position and say sure. I'm not quite sure who is going to be there in 2023. You know that Stott is probably going to be at one of the positions, whether it's second short or third. Uh Toskins's arm number is going to be big. Mm-hmm. Uh I I I I think they like you know like might entertain you know a trade for him this offseason i don't know and maybe you move Bohm to first i don't know i mean like every position to me is unsettled there you can't say right now going into 2023 that you know who's going to be playing the infield for the phillies uh so that would make you lean toward like wanting to bring segura back on a one-year deal but i don't know i think you can better i think there's a better use of that 17 million i do
0: yeah, I, I tend to agree with you in, in multiple aspects of that. I, I think the chief one is that, yes, we have no idea what this infield is going to look like. I agree that the longer this season in particular goes on with the way uh, guys are performing, anything is on the table, right? I don't, I don't think you can rule anything out. I do think if I was a betting man, and I'm not for these kinds of props, that we're looking at Hoskins last year here, as much as that pains me. I just still don't think both from a performance standpoint and from an organizational attitude standpoint on the outside here, that there's a long-term match. He's, he's that hot and cold player for sure. I've, I live with that because in the past he's been an exceptional, you know, plate discipline guy who could still draw walks when he wasn't getting hits and all of that. He's a little bit different the last couple of years where he's not quite getting on base as much during the cold hit spells when he's hot he's still white hot and that's fantastic i still i think he's a great guy to have around i love what he and Jamie do for the muscular dystrophy association all of that but from a baseball standpoint we're, we're we might be approaching midnight here and if that happens if we run up at the uh, the arb3 you know is his last arbitration year it's a walk here that's probably the last opportunity you're going to get to really get some kind of value for him whatever that looks like i have no idea what that looks like and i saw there's something floating around about people thinking hoskins could be traded straight up for a shortstop stop like a like a xander bogarts or something no, like that and no, i think that's no, insane no. um but we're coming to the point where hoskins his time might be running out here if that happens you probably move Boehm over even though he's looked fine lately at third base i don't know how long that's gonna last and then you reopen third base Camargo is still arbitration eligible. So he, I would think, unless falls off a cliff, he's probably going to stick around because he's got that utility thing to him. Um, Stott sticks around. Maybe Nick Maton plays a little more of a role. But everything is just so uncertain, even around all of those names, because you don't feel like, yes, I feel good handing off the starting second base job to Nick Maton next year. Like, I love Nick Maton. I don't think that's a sane statement to make. There's a lot of work they have to do. And as much as I like Segura, you know, one year, sure, that would be great. I don't, I don't think he would need to settle for one year, and that might be the problem.
1: So you got Trey Turner, Dansby Swanson, uh, and then possibly Xander Bogarts and Carlos Correa. They both have opt outs. Uh, it's
0: Incredible list. I guess
1: like it's yeah. I mean, that's four, and we're also coming off of an off season where you know some teams spend a lot of money on shortstops. So you know, you've eliminated some suitors, some high market, big market suitors just. By the fact that they already spent the money on shortstops this past offseason, right? So that's nice. It's I mean nice the, Yankees the, probably, the Yankees are probably Yankees are probably going to be signing one of these guys. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I would think so. So, and then, you know, the Red Sox, uh, you know, Bogart's is their guy. You know, do they re-sign him before he even gets to the market? We don't know. But yeah, I mean, there's there could be some options and 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 it's gonna come back to ownership. Like, are they do they want to invest in another uh you know, another big, uh, you know, another big contract, you know, another 25 to 30, uh, plus AAV guy. Uh, right. cause that's probably what it'll take. Especially for Trey Turner. What's Trey Turner going to get? Oh, my God.
0: Oh, uh, Trey Turner is going to get a <laughs> lot. And, and he's yeah, I, I love Trey Turner. I think he would solve so many things just immediately. He's a a, a good shortstop glove. He's fast. You, you could say he's the prototypical leadoff guy, which this team has been searching for forever. Absolutely. But, but yes, he would he would cost 30 million dollars a year. And you, you start batting on all this stuff onto these books. And yes, even though the team is owned and paid for by a billionaire, they're they're there's only so far that I think Middleton is going to want to go with this. Like we saw how much has a return on the football.
1: investment. Exactly. You know, like if, they, if they, if they go to the playoffs this year and if they go deep, then maybe that I mean, changes things. I think maybe. it would.
0: Yes. Yeah. Well, he, here's, here's another thing they're running up against, right? Because they're starting to see, unfortunately, a, a little bit of a, of a sink in one of their investments in particular. And I'm of course talking about JT Rio and I, I hate that I have to bring this up, but as much as what a player is paid monetarily does not bother me, it does not affect me. I don't really care what the number says next to their salary. I care about the number of years they have. I think that has more of an impact on what a team can do building around that player than necessarily what they're being paid. I think that whole thing was shattered for me when Vernon Wells back in the day had his massive contract traded. And at that point, I realized, oh, with the, right th- with the right levers being pulled and the right things happening, no amount of money is immovable. So I don't care about the amount of money. The thing that worries me about JT is that he's got three more years after this one guaranteed. And it's already looking like, I don't know if this is exactly what it is, but it's already looking like the wear of playing so much at the start of his career is catching up to him because this is not the same guy that we had in 2019. That's obvious. Defense is still pretty good. And I like that.
1: There are still, but there are cracks in that. Yes, there are some cracks. Yes, there
0: are. Yes, there are not ones that you're used to seeing from him either. I think the one that sticks out in everybody's mind recently is the drop drop foul um, pop-up. A few games back. The
1: throws though.
0: Yeah. the, The, the throws are are losing a little bit of their accuracy. The pop time is still there, so he's still got the strength and, and the transfer, which is awesome. But I don't know how confident you can be now saying, yes, this is a guy who's still going to be here in 2025. I'm not saying that in hindsight, this was a bad deal. I think we all understood at that time, one, that this is what it was going to take to retain him, that he was coming off a, a good year that warranted that kind of consideration for that kind of money and that this is the risk that we were going to run. We just hoped it would come later that it wouldn't be right now, that it would be a year or two from now when things were different, that we could absorb it a little bit better right now, Garrett Stubbs is playing out of his mind and that's fantastic, but that he could, you know, he could, he could disappear for the next two. Like, I, I don't know. He's, he's Garrett Stubbs. He was traded for nothing. he, has had barely played before this year. He's a great story. I'm having a ball watching that guy play, but I he's not a thousand OPS catcher. We know that. So no, like the what? bigger
1: question, the bigger question you're getting at Paul, which is a question the Phillies Front Office has to is going to have to ask itself in the next five weeks, is what what do we do with Logan O'Happy? Yes. And yes. you know, it's because he is their probably their best trade ship that they'd be willing to move right now. They're, you know, I don't think Painter and Abel are uh even on the table, I, I, don't I really think don't so. think that. No. Especially no. not in a midseason trade. No. Um so that that gives you that that goes to Ohapi, and and, and he's had a great season at double Um I think there's people who are believers. I think there's some people who are skeptical. I think there's uh people who really, really like the kid. Um I think he's a you know he's made himself into a solid, legitimate catching prospect. Uh and and there's not a lot of that uh around the sport right now. But he's blocked. You said three more years. And I think when they signed JT to the five year deal, I think in the back of your mind, you're thinking if we can get four years of everyday catcher JT out of those five, awesome. Yeah. You know, maybe he plays first base in the fifth year, you know, Mm -hmm. first base slash DH slash left field. I guess what we didn't know is that they would go sign. Two more first base slash left field slash DH guys. Well, yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. Because their deals will expire. Did they all expire the same year? Cassiano, uh, Schwarber, and Real Muto.
0: No. So Real Muto and Schwarber expire after twenty five. Castiano right. is signed through twenty six.
1: Right. Right. Okay. But about the same time, they're all on the yeah. books still. Yeah. Um. Whatever you want to say about the defense, whatever uh, for JT, uh, the power number, is, the power is the biggest thing. I mean, he yeah. is, uh, the power is a, it's a precipitous drop. And it's, 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 uh, it's crazy, really. I mean, he slugged 493 in 2019, and right now he's carrying a 350 slugging percentage. And it's not like and, this is just the result of a small sample. I mean, we saw the no. power numbers really start to dip last year. He had a wrist problem, and you're thinking, okay, you know, uh, uh, understandable, you know, wrist injuries, uh, uh, you know, hitters will tell you that it, the thing that it saps the most is, is the pop the power and the swing, but he comes back You're in 2022, fully healthy and you're just not seeing the ball jump off his bat. And uh, it's, it's gotta be a concern, you know, and, and the metrics they love him defensively. And I think there's, there's, there's um, validity behind that. I think he still does, uh, a lot of things well behind the plate and that you're willing to live with it. Uh, you know, some of the decline in offense because he's playing a premium position and he plays it well, uh, mm-hmm. just a matter of how long that continues. It is. And I, I take
0: some comfort in pulling up relative performance, right? You think Absolutely. about, you yeah. know, to the look league at catchers,
1: look at catchers right. around the league. It's not, I mean, it's,
0: it's, it's brutal. not good. I have I have the numbers up right in front of me. I just read them off. I know this makes for riveting radio, but like just reading these numbers off real quick. League wide catchers are hitting 222 with a 292 on base oh. and a 357 slug. That is wow. That it's the worst position on the field.
1: That's actually amazing to me that he is below league average in catching slug.
0: Yeah, he's right on the cusp. He yeah. is he's five five thousandths as a catcher, not counting um other other starts so this this eliminates some of the other stuff but yeah he has a 362 slug as a catcher which relative to that split gives him an ops 684 it's 112 ops plus against the split so he's 12 percent above average average to catch it right but it's not jt and i think that's the thing people keep coming back to right like you can take a little bit of comfort that catching league wide is is real stinky it's real bad right now <laughs> but it's not it is not the jt that that we no, become used no. to and I think that's in you invest in him because you
1: have him you know because you have him down as being a top three catcher in baseball yeah. for at least three or four years of that contract
0: exactly and and he's clearly not that you don't want somebody who's you know just kind of hanging around league average for a catcher with the bat and and the defense is while still you know again very good not as well, it was absolutely elite in 2019 and, mm-hmm. and parts of 20. It's not quite as good as it was back then. And that's the passage of time that happens, especially to catchers. It just happens a little bit quicker than we wanted it to. And the Ohapi point is great because.
1: They're going to have to make a call here. They I mean, absolutely like, like their do. best. And like, you don't have to make a call. i like, is Logan Ohapi like, your, you know, starting catcher? No. I mean, the call they have to make is he is their best trade ship. Like there's no yes. denying it because you've signed JT. Like he is their best trade chip this, you know, in the next five weeks. And I, and I think it's going to, yeah, it's going to force them to kind of make a decision. I think. I
0: I don't see a way I, I do not see a way right now. And I hope this isn't used as leverage against them. It might be, you know, discussions being what they are. I don't see a way where Ohapi can continue to coexist in this system. Not just where uh, JT is at the major league level for the three and a half more years. Ohapi is, is, coming up on 23 years old, I believe. They also have Rafael Marchand still in AAA, who is nice depth and has proven to be, you know, at least competent in a very small sample at the major league level. There's, there's too much there. This is a good problem to have. There's too much viable major league catching there, we think. Cool. Awesome. But this is the point where this team has, has fallen a little bit short in opportunities where they can maximize value. No
1: question. No, 100%. You know, whether they're
0: selling somebody or trying to buy, look, Logan O'Hoppy's trade stock has gone through the ceiling at the perfect time for something like this. I don't know what kind of player he's going to end up being. I think if you want to look at maybe a a little bit more ground to take, you can look at uh, Jeff Paternostro's most recent report on him on baseball prospectus from a few days or a week ago where, you know, Logan O'Hoppy is not going to be Johnny Bench probably. So it's not like you're, you're giving up the next hall of famer. probably going to be a good player, could stick behind the plate for a while, but this team, the Phillies at the major league level still needs help at a couple of different places. And if you're going to get somebody who's going to make a difference, you need to give up a chip that has some value and looks like it could be a good player. And right now, nobody has met the intersection of those points better than Logan Ohapi. I don't see how they don't trade him for something in July.
1: Yeah, and we're not saying, I don't think he should be traded for a rental player. Like, I think if you're trading Ohapi, you're trading him for someone that's going to be helping your major league team in 2023 and and maybe even 2024 as well. Like you're trying to get somebody who's got, uh, one plus, maybe two plus years of control remaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, 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 I can't imagine trading him for anything less than that, but you're right. I mean, like think about all the guys who like, they just kind of held on to for a little too long and, and, and never got what they should have gotten for them. Uh, you and I were just talking about Nick Pavetta before we got on oh boy. on the yeah. podcast. Don't don't look at Nick Pavetta's numbers. And we know no, there will be it. regression. There will be regression. We know there will be, but it's pretty good right now. Yeah. Uh, and they definitely sold low on him. They would be selling high, I think, on Logan Hoppy, Even if you even if you think he's going to be really good uh in the bigs, I think they would be selling high on him right now. Uh I agree. You know, the reading the reading bump has given him a nice little uh power output. Maybe it's real, maybe it's not. I don't know. Uh, I don't think anyone knows, but you'd be, I think you'd be selling high. And generally when you're selling high, that's a good place to be. If you do it more often than not, uh, you're going to get bit, no question. Uh, but I don't know. I I mean, (laughs) they are a team that is built to win now. And Dave Dombrowski is a guy who hasn't been afraid to trade, uh, prospects in the past. That doesn't mean he's going to trade all of them. And really Mm -hmm. we've seen, he hasn't traded all of them. Uh, I don't know. I, I think it's a. It, I think their hand is going to be kind of forced here in the next five weeks. So they're going to have to make a call on this.
0: Yeah, it'll. It, I think it's a matter of for what, not if, um, and it's just a matter of seeing what the market looks like. Who's not injured? Who's going to be available?
1: I, I um, made this note too. Like when you talk about, you think about center field. Mm-hmm. He's not a match with the Pirates of or the Orioles. No. Doyle's drafted Adley Rutschman. He's now in the bigs with their yep. with the number one overall pick. And the Pirates drafted. There's some debate whether Henry Davis is going to end up being a catcher full time in the bigs, but they use their one one on a catcher, Henry Davis. So right. O'Happy is not a match there. If you're talking about uh, Brian Reynolds or Cedric Mullins, like that's it's probably not a match.
0: Exactly. Like that's part of the market. I think that um, we're really going to need to pay close attention to from the outside here as we get closer to July because. Yes, there are players who look like they could be good fits that way, but you're absolutely right. Context matters here. If you run into a potential trade partner who is set at catcher, like those those teams are, or take for one hypothetical example, not that this would happen. Say the Phillies and Dodgers wanted to strike up a deal. Well, the Dodgers are so set with Will Smith that, you know, they don't really have much need for a catcher who's only three, four years younger than he is as a major trade piece. Like you have to consider what the other side of the deal would be getting out of somebody like Logan O'Hopi. Yeah, and, and there's probably there's there.
1: probably more teams than not that aren't set at catcher. Right. right? Yes, yes. I mean it's not it's a thin spot. You you read off the numbers and you know there's some good catching prospects out there. The Mets, you know, might have the number one prospect in, in, in baseball right now he's a catcher and mm-hmm. uh, but but more often than not, teams currently are not set up for the featured catcher. So he is yeah. an appealing piece. He is.
0: Francisco Alvarez, by the way, in case yes. you're somebody like me who likes to go hunting for for Bowman cards of, of some of these guys, <laughs> um, but th- it's it's something to keep an eye on for sure. That we won't know more until the next couple of weeks unfold. Obviously, as as health and 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 other contention situations start uh, uh, settling a little bit, but in the meantime, if the Phillies really want to be serious and they want to stay in position to actually be a buyer, they're probably going to be some kind of buyer regardless, just because. Enough is enough, and you have to make a full-throated push for the postseason. At this point, uh, they have to continue to, uh, as we've seen lately, win games they shouldn't. And I think that's a phrase that has come up with increasing frequency uh, over the last couple of weeks, as the Phillies have won a couple of ugly games. You know, think about going back to the Milwaukee uh, series when when Bowman Veerling hit two home runs in the ninth inning off of Josh Hader. Who had not allowed a home run in what felt like five years, who had not allowed a run all season, <laughs> who hadn't blown a city, who was the best reliever in baseball, clearly, and two of your, you know, objectively weaker hitters take him yard in Milwaukee. That's a game the Phillies probably should not have won. <laughs> but what I come what I'm trying to think about here, when we think about the phrase win, win a game you shouldn't, what does that mean? Can we put some kind of can we put some kind of structure or something around that where it's more easily and more easy to identify a, a game that should not have be should not have been won, rather than just viewing it? Or is it something you just have to watch from inning one through inning nine and be like, "Yeah, we stole one there." Like, it, 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 are there actual criteria to this, or is it just kind of one of those weird uh, intangible
1: things? I'm going to give you criteria. Okay it's a game you watch and you say the 2019 to 2021 Phillies would not have won this game.
0: Okay. But why, why would they not have won? I think that's what I'm trying to get at here. Uh, they, can can ma- we put something to that? So
1: maybe there's some sort of, you know, uh, uh sudden shift in momentum or sudden shift in, in game state where uh, the bullpen blows it or uh, offense goes quiet. And then all of a sudden, you know, they magically pull it out of their behind. I mean, the carrot stubs, uh, walk off as a as a perfect example. I mean, the Phillies were were horseshit the entire game. They, <laughs> they did not have a hit with runner scoring position. I mean, they were awful all day. And all of a sudden, the backup catcher comes up and hits a home run and, and wins the game. And you are like, okay, that's a game that they should not have won. Like, yeah, I don't know. Maybe it's like you don't you you don't you don't know how to define it, but you know it when you see it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I think to me, it's it's the undertones of. You know, and, and Reese Hoskins said a great quote about it. It's like, you know, he said it's like we're winning games that we probably shouldn't be winning and, and good teams do that. And he's right. I mean, like, yeah, over the course of a 162 game season, uh, you know, good teams aren't aren't always good every night, but they find ways. And in the past, the Phillies have always found a way to lose those those tight games. Uh, not always, but more often than not. And mm-hmm. so the fact that they've been able during June, and, and again, it's only been three weeks. I I, I understand that, but uh, they've won more games in the last three weeks that they shouldn't have won, I think, than maybe in the last two years combined. And uh, I think there's something to that.
0: Yeah, I I could agree with that. And you know, bringing up Hoskins in particular, I, I can think back to a couple of days ago when his run scored on the the fielder's interference in extra innings <laughs> ended up being the deciding run because they gave one back in the bottom half. Like that, that's a good example right there. <laughs> I think it also comes down to getting um, not just more production from the bottom of your roster, but that timely production from the yep. bottom of your Kyron roster. Kyron Munoz. Having, yes. Uh, you know, a
1: home run that was, it should have been a one nothing win. And they—and again, they blow the save the ninth and they still win the game. There you go. Right. Like there's another one that they should not have won. And they did. Exactly. And, you know, we.
0: You look at even with, with Bryson Stott with his walk-off home run, that was one of four hits he had in two weeks. It came at the right time. <laughs> you know, that's the thing that the timeliness, I think is, is such a key element because you can get, you know, sprinkled in contributions here and there, maybe an RBI single from uh, a, a no name rookie call up or a spring invitee. But if it's in an eight, three game at the time, like, well, okay, that, that doesn't really do much for you. But when it's in the bottom of the ninth inning, in a game that you've almost blown twice and managed to scramble back and, and, and get, you know, on the cusp of losing again and back and forth, back and forth, and actually coming through and winning that game with a guy who's been struggling, but found the exact right time to come through. I think that's it. You just got to have, it's almost like a, like a, like a broken clock metaphor, right? Like if you have somebody who is maybe not the most reliable on, you know, five starts a week. You can count on them for a few hits and poke a few RBIs, maybe draw a few walks, productive near the top of the order, right? Every team isn't stuffed with those kinds of players. You have to have guys who are not that good uh, filling in the reserve roles. But if their time to shine and the time in the game where they are needed the most happen to align, well, there you go. The broken clock is right that time of day. (laughs) It's a bit of a torture yeah. metaphor, but I think you yeah. get what I'm getting at here. Like it, they've, they've had, had good that timing. misalignment, yeah, they've yeah. had that misalignment in the past where yeah. some of these hits have not come in the situations where they are needed the most. I don't know if that's something you can script or something you can plan for or something that you can, really finagle to the point of, of getting to an exact science of knowing exactly when to deploy somebody or put on a, a, a hit and run of some kind or <laughs> conveniently run into a fielder as a ground ball goes up the middle. I don't think you can <laughs> plan for those things. They
1: just kind of have to happen. I mean, to me, like Jose Alvarado is a perfect example. I mean, he's been awful this year, right? You can't trust him. He's got incredible stuff. You just can't trust him. And then he ends up getting you know the last four outs of that, that second game, the doubleheader, And like, he was really good. I mean, that was the best we've probably seen him all year. He should have, the game should have ended. I mean, he got, he he got the 27th out. He, Uh, he, he he was extremely good and it was good timing. I mean, they needed it in that moment and he stepped up. They've had guys who have stepped up. Uh, I mean, really, when you think about it, the stop example is, is the best, really the best one The Veerling examples of late have been, uh, you know, really impressive. I mean, two you know, two of his three home runs have been to break a ninth inning tie. Mm-hmm. Uh, impressive, Stubbs' timing, impressive. You know, it <laughs> they've had good timing, and they haven't necessarily had that for a long time. Uh, so, it's been refreshing to see. Uh, I mean, I know the competition hasn't maybe been the best, but you know what? Like, who cares? <laughs> I mean, they're winning. <laughs> you know, and yeah, right.
0: Exactly. W- wins are wins. I mean, you got to we- bank
1: wins right now because you know, exactly the the, the the sixth seed in the National League. Uh, I think it's still the Braves and they're on like a 91 win pace.
0: Right. Uh, and and you think about the last, you know, the, I'm just looking at this real quick. The Phils are are 10 and three in their last 13 games. And all that's netted them is uh, two and a half games caught up to the ball. And that's to say nothing of the Braves,
1: who have been so hot. So, like, you have to win right now. Banked wins are banked wins. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're looking at possibly needing 87 to get that six seed, maybe 86. Mm. That, that's that's a lot of wins, and I know the Phillies right now they're four games over. They they're playing at a at a much better pace, but uh, 86, 87 wins that's that's a lot. And uh, I think that that's what we're looking at right now.
0: Well, speaking of timing and and getting things to line up just right. There's something that's a couple of years overdue that the Phillies are, are finally uh, getting around to, uh, delayed with the uh, COVID restrictions in the shortened season of 2020, were some of the um, commemorations of the 1980 World Series team, and that's taking the form in this case of two inductees to the Wall of Fame in Ron Reed and Big McBride, two members of that team um, who are going to be inducted this year. It's a fun little thing. That the phillies do you know remembering some guys as as we like to say on on twitter every once in a while just bringing names back from better times if you're not you know in in a, a contending cycle uh thinking back to you know memories of you know guys like bake mcbride the starting right fielder on that 1980 world series team uh really great hitter nice compliment to mike schmidt it's nice to give them a moment of recognition, right? Ron Reed, a a, a reliever on that team. Um, It's not necessarily meant to be like, these are the all-time franchise greats. In some cases, that overlaps. But you don't necessarily have to think that that's the bar, right? It's not the Hall of Fame for whatever, you know, standards you think apply to that these days. Uh, This is just a chance for a club to Really, truly, literally, and in physical form, remember some guys and give them their due, and give them a nice little bit of a, a cap tip, even if it's you know forty years plus two um, removed from their actual heroics. I think you had an an interesting point. We won't we won't spend too much time on this, but I think you had an interesting point on a particular player that the Phillies should consider inducting into their Wall of Fame, who's not already. Uh, who Who is that guy? Would you tell us? Uh, you know, only the
1: second best third baseman yeah. in the franchise's history. And the uh-huh. first, you know, the best third baseman in franchise history is also the best third baseman in, in the history of baseball. Yep. But yeah, I mean, like Scott Rowland should eventually be, be on this wall. And, and like, I, I get it. I, I get that there are still people who are angry at Scott Rowland. And, and I know it hasn't uh you know, I, I don't know that he's even been recognized. I know he's been back, like he, we've seen him in spring training before, but it, it's been mm-hmm. kind of low key. Um, I mean, like it's it, it's it's time. Like it's time for this guy to to be honored. I mean, he's going to uh, he, he's going to be in the Hall of Fame. Like I, I think it's pretty clear that
0: he'll uh, get there. Yeah.
1: He'll he'll one day get into the Hall of Fame, and he he spent more time with the Phillies than any other team uh, in his career, and. I know it was early in his career before he, he had postseason success, but mm-hmm. uh, if he's going to go in the Hall of Fame and he spent more time with the Phillies than any other team, he uh, he needs to be on the Phillies Hall of Fame. And th- the other thing I want to point out, Paul, is that once uh, Bake McBride goes in, that'll be uh, seven players from uh, the eighty starting lineup. And Pete Rose is eighth guy who like was supposed to be on the wall of fame and yeah. for for certain reasons is not going to be so like how many guys from the 08 starting lineup are going to be on the wall of fame and pat burrell is already on it so that's one he is you I, fig- I think it's i think is. it's funny that he beat everybody else to he that. beat everybody <laughs> yeah uh but yeah okay so rollins out howard reese yep. like yep. to me four slam dunks does victorino <laughs> get on now that bake if, if big mcbride is on the wall of fame then shane victorino has got to be on the wall of fame right
0: you got to give thought to Victorino. You got to give thought to worth. Uh, if you're talking about inducting Ron Reed, you got to give thought to a guy like Ryan Madsen.
1: Ryan Madsen. That's the right That's, that's He's the. Uh, yeah. I, I Yes.
0: Mean, I, the bar is set now, I think, for the 2008 team to have just as many players, if not, if not, if they have space, if not more. Yeah. I don't And it's know. okay
1: that they haven't done sure. those guys yet. I get that. Like, yeah. And, and like you said, it, it's not, you know, this isn't like our, you know, debates about who should be on it it's not like you know no. it, it's it's a nice way to like you said remember some guys and honor some guys uh like are Bake mcbride and ron Reed gonna like fill the seats uh, probably not but uh you know I, I think it's a nice thing and i i think before they get to those 08 guys that scott Rowland needs uh needs to be on it and and whatever issues there were before uh and it, it goes both ways you know it's not just just one way Uh, they just need to be resolved. That's all.
0: Makes sense to me. I'm right there with you. Okay. Well, that'll about wrap things up for episode number 14 here on PT. The Phillies continue their road trip heading out west gradually for a two-gamer in Texas and then four out in San Diego.
1: It's a rare three-time zone trip.
0: Yes, which I'm I'm sure they all enjoy very much uh, before coming back home for a big series against the Braves starting early next week. There's reason to be optimistic though. It doesn't really feel like we're staring down the barrel of, well, they either got to win or they're gonna be out of contention in June. And that in and of itself, I think is plenty refreshing. Matt, once again, happy belated Father's Day. Have a nice flight out to Texas and
1: uh, see you next week. See you next week.